You're listening to an Art Gallery of Ontario podcast. AGO Talks are recorded live in the gallery and feature artists, writers, and curators exploring how art shapes and inspires us. Please visit us online at ago.net slash talks. Good evening and welcome. If everybody could find a seat. My name is Gillian McIntyre and I coordinate the adult programs here and I'm absolutely thrilled tonight to welcome you to an evening celebrating the work of Yael Bartana. Um, as you probably all know, last night we opened And Europe Will Be Stunned, her, her trilogy of films. I'm very happy tonight to say that we are presenting this in partnership with the Canadian Art Foundation. And uh, it, it's, we've, we've done a series of talks over the years with them, and it's always an excellent thing, and I'm so happy. And thank you, Anne. I'll invite Anne up in a minute to make a few comments. Um, so we're going to listen. Anne is going to speak, and then Elizabeth Smith, our Executive Director of Curatorial Affairs, is going to introduce our panelists. And then we're going to see a few clips from the films, So, because I don't think all of you will have had a chance since it just opened yesterday to see. So you'll have a flavor of it. But please do go up, because the exhibition is exquisite upstairs. And then we will have conversation here. And then afterwards, there'll be a chance for you to ask some questions. So please think of some good questions while you're watching and listening. So to start us off, I would like to invite Anne Webb, who is the executive director of the Canadian Art Foundation and editor of Canadian Art. And in her spare time, she partners with us on, on talks. Hi, everyone. I'm actually the publisher of the Canadian Art Magazine. Rick, Richard Rhodes, who's here tonight, I think, too, is the editor. Just a slight correction. Thank you. Um, just here to bring greetings from the Canadian Art Foundation. We are delighted to work with our colleagues here at the AGO to continue to present this speaker series. I'd like to thank Yael for making such a remarkable work. And I'd like to congratulate Elizabeth Smith for bringing it here to the AGO for all of us to see. And finally, I just would like to thank our sponsor, BMO Financial Group, who continues to support uh, this series and make this all possible, uh, which is a great collaboration for all of us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anne. Um, it's really a pleasure for us at AGO to work with the Canadian Art Foundation on this event. And before I introduce tonight's program, I'd like to thank my colleague Jillian McIntyre, uh, who organized the event. And I'd like to extend thanks to the many AGO staff who helped to realize the exhibition here, foremost among them, Sandy Sparks, the project manager. So we are honored that Yael Bartana is here with us tonight on the occasion of AGO's presentation of her film trilogy that premiered last summer at the Venice Biennale. It was presented in the Polish Pavilion, Polish National Pavilion, and is titled, And Europe Will Be Stunned. The trilogy consists of three works made between 2007 and 2011 that tell a story of a Jewish Renaissance movement in Poland. In these works, Bartana interweaves reality and fiction, documentation and propaganda, the past and the present, undermining certainties, turning symbols on their heads, and opening up multiple meanings. We're very excited by the opportunity to bring one of today's foremost contemporary artists, whose work is well known on the world stage, to Toronto, 
And we're also so pleased to present this at AGO because it, it is part of our mission to present new work that addresses important social issues in connection with our guiding principles of forum and relevance. Alongside the trilogy, I want to mention that we're presenting another work by Yael Bartana that was made in 2001 and is called Trembling Time. It is in the AGO's collection. It was a recent gift of collector Tom Bjarnason. So please don't miss that as well. So now I'd like to introduce Yael uh, and our other speakers. Um, Yael Bartana was born in 1970 in Israel, and she now resides primarily in Berlin and Amsterdam. She studied at the Bezalel Academy of Art and Design in Jerusalem, concentrating in photography. But in her third year, she came to Toronto as an exchange student at Ryerson. And it was there that she made her first video. While she was at Bezalel, she also studied at the Jerusalem Academy of Music and Dance as she was interested in collaborating with musicians. Subsequently, she studied at the School of Visual Arts in New York, the Rijks Academy in Amsterdam, and around 2000, she began making the body of work for which she is known today. And that work uh, has been included in numerous exhibitions worldwide. Uh, locations include the, the Moderna Museet in Sweden, the Van Abe Museum in Eindhoven, Netherlands, PS1 in New York City, the Center for Contemporary Art Tel Aviv, Contemporary Jewish Museum in San Francisco, Museum of Modern Art, Oxford, England, and many others. Besides the recent presentation in Venice, she's also presented work in major group shows, including Documenta 12 in Kassel, Germany in 2007, the Sao Paulo Biennale, Manifesta 4 in Frankfurt in 2002. And in 2010, she won a prestigious prize from the Wales International Visual Art Prize um, from Artis Mundi for work that stimulates thinking about the human condition. Joining Yael tonight will be Slavomir Sirakovsky, who plays the protagonist in the film trilogy and who wrote the speech that he delivers in the first film, Mari Koshmari, uh, which translates to Nightmare. Sirakovsky was born in 1979 in Poland. He is a political commentator, a sociologist, a literary critic, and the founder and editor-in-chief of the journal The Political Critique, based in Warsaw. He's also the co-founder of Red Action, a place that serves as a forum for discussion, art presentations, and social and political projects. And he's the president of the Stanislav oh, Brzezowski Association, um, which is a Polish left movement. Pardon my Polish. Um, moderating tonight's panel will be Hen Tamir, who is originally from Toronto. Hen is an independent curator and an art writer who divides her time between Toronto, Tel Aviv, and New York. She is program manager of Artists, and she also works as program associate for the Vera List Center for Art and Politics at the New School University. Until recently, she was executive director of Flux Factory, an artist-run center in Queens. And she has curated exhibitions that have been held in numerous locations in Israel, uh, in Canada, uh, and in the United States. So I'm going to first welcome Hen to the stage, who is going to pick up and carry forth with the rest of the program. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks everyone for coming. It's a real treat to be here. Um, I went to classes on Saturdays at the AGO when I was in high school, so it's a particular honor <laughs> to be back here. Um, since this show just opened recently, we thought that we, I'd give a quick description of the piece, and um, we're going to show a few clips for anyone who hasn't had a chance to see them yet. 
The semi-fictitious three-part video in Europe will be stunned is centered on an, on an idea that seems crazy, that 3.3 million Jews move back to Poland in an effort to reverse or invert history and replace those murdered in the Holocaust. It takes it as a given that these Jews have a right to return to their motherland and that such an effort would make, a whole, would make whole a Poland in need of cultural and ethnic diversity. The videos ado uh, adopt the imagery and rhetoric of totalitarian propaganda to, to raise fundamental questions like, how is personal identity shaped by national and collective consciousness, consciousness? What does homeland mean, and how can you argue with such a concept? Is a shared national identity compatible with tolerance? And is it inherited? The Jewish Renaissance, move, Renaissance movement in, Pol in Poland was officially born at the Polish pavilion in the Venice Biennial this past summer. Visitors could register and get a membership card, and the ambiguous thresh threshold between, between reality and fiction began to blur. Akin to the founding of America that called for the poor and disenfranchised of the world, the Jewish Renaissance movement in Poland calls for the weak. I'd like to read a few, oh, sorry, I'm, not gonna, I'm just gonna skip this. Um, what this work, both the video and the movement, um, explore is a certain failure of universalism. The idea that everyone has a place, and everyone can be part of the world equally. It's clearly disputed in this work, and you'll see some clips soon. And it's also attesting, or at least exploring, the failure of multiculturalism. Otherwise, why would anyone have to leave? The first part of the trilogy shows a charismatic leader, Slavomir, who plays himself, giving a moving speech, which he wrote himself, urging the return quote unquote, of three million Jews to Poland. The work is set in an empty, dilapidated communist era stadium that calls to mind the Nuremberg rallies shown in the Nazi film, Triumph of the Will, which itself references classical architecture. Its title, Nightmares, is perhaps sarcastic considering Slavomir's utopian rhetoric and ambitions. He isn't just addressing Jews or Israelis, but appealing to his fellow Poles, a new idealistic generation symbolized by the Boy and Girl Scouts. Let's start the first clip, please. Żydów, 
których zabrakło w Polsce. I przegoni w końcu te Wracajcie do Polski. Do waszego, naszego kraju. Stańcie ci jej uszu i połóżcie swoje dłonie na tej starej pierzynie. Cienkiej, jak prześcieradło, z której Bóg dawno już rozwał Połóżcie, mówię wam, swoje ręce na niej i powiedzcie, darujemy ci tę pierzynę. Po co nam ona? Już nie ma w niej wieża, tylko ból. Uleczcie nasze rany, a uleczycie swoje. I będziemy znowu razem. The second part of the trilogy, Wall and Tower, is the answer to Slavomir's call. Jewish pioneers modeled after the, the Zionists who came to build Palestine in the 20s and 30s have come to Moranov, the center of Warsaw, where the old Jewish district and ghetto used to be. They build a wall and tower after the technique used to build kibbutzim, socialist villages in Israel, during the Arab revolts in the 1930s. However, the structure more closely resembles a concentration camp. Jews learn Polish as bewildered elderly, uh, elderly locals stand by. In the background plays the Polish national anthem as well as the Israeli one played backwards. The assertiveness of the settlement's presence indicates alienation, hostility, occupation, and the challenge of assimilation. If we could have the second clip, please.
In the third section, the movement has grown, evidenced by legions who mourn their assassinated leader. Slavomir is being eulogized, and like other assassinations of political leaders, this moment is a carefully crafted ritual laden with symbolism and emotional manipulation. Slavomir is martyred, and this frees the now fully formed Jewish Renaissance movement in Poland to expand and include those, not just Jews, but anyone who's willing to join. Let's have the third clip.
Chaim Rivka, who was murdered and buried anew, who was disinherited, who was moved, breathless, from the mass graves of Auschwitz, Baria, Treblinka, Majdanek, Sobibor, to the Shrine of Memory, to the Mausoleum of Architecture of the Sublime in Jerusalem. I can be found everywhere. And the ghost of return, the return returning to herself. Sunken in the crypt of grief that cannot be expressed in words, my dead tongue hides something that was buried alive. I'm here to reveal the destruction of the understood through the tongue. I'm here to weave the torture of identity from the frets of forgetfulness. I am condemned to exist in a frozen crystal, saved from healing, removed from the present. So yeah, Alan Slavomir, could you come up? So you lived in Toronto. How was that? Um, very cold. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. I strongly remember. <laughs> was that a formative experience somehow for you? It was a very good experience, actually. Um, we have shown the film in Kiev and in Kazan and in St. Petersburg, so but you weren't there. That's the cold place. Okay. <laughs> That's why I was not there. <laughs> I don't want to focus too much on the logistics of filming this masterpiece, but I do want to talk about the experience of it. Stavomir, you're a writer and an activist in Poland, and you're a staunch advocate for diversity and tolerance. How real is this for you? Um, you said at the beginning that uh, it's semi-factitious, um, like my name. <laughs> um, uh, it's... Uh, so it's, it is problematic. I mean, I wouldn't uh, define it easily or directly as uh, a call for tolerance or uh, diversity. I mean, no simple vocabulary uh, is any more possible in this world. I mean, like, I, I understand it not in a simple way that art is always about ambiguity or ambivalence. I don't think this kind of liberal attitude to art is any more productive. However, I wouldn't say also that it's just let's be tolerant and everything would be fine. Um, so um, I don't know if the context is uh, uh, the most interesting thing to, to discuss, but um, I uh, maybe, well, you can imagine how it was uh, in Poland when I was uh, um, in the same time w known as a leftist activist. So a lot of people hated me because of it. And in the same time, there was my monument. And add to this that it, the third film was recorded 
exactly, almost exactly, when there was one first anniversary of the Smolensk tragedy in the, in the same square when the whole ceremony before and then a few days after it, during the first anniversary, was uh, uh, present, present. And, uh, and in the same time, this, the role of catastrophe, the role of those tragic things in the history of the region, which is not just uh, the problem of that something bad happened. No, uh, there is also a problem of populism, mythology, many bad things which... Uh, I mean, we used to think that after each tragedy in our history we are enriched, which is stupid. We are never enriched because of the tragedy. Um, but I, so like my connection to Yael in the broader sense is a connection of someone who believes in the possibility of social change, but doesn't believe that it would be possible without involvement in a culture, without reintegrating the world of science, politics, and, uh, and, uh, and art. In my country, in my region, in which social institutions like state or university or, or trade unions or other institutions were rather weak, um, we had involved, engaged intelligentsia as a something to replace these institutions or the role of these institutions. And then after we had the breakthrough of 1989, art became isolated from the problems of uh, society or from art or from politics and generally public sphere. The same was with the, with the science. Uh, so my organization um, uh, was established also to fight with this, like to involve artists in the large discussion about uh, our public sphere, scientists about the large discussion about the politics, democracy, how we understand it. Uh, so that is why we, uh, so the films are not the only uh, thing that we do in my organization, which is not also the only thing which is between me and the IL, because we do other things also. Um, so, um, so, so gen generally, um, it, 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 this, this uh, film came to be possible when Yael came to me and said, I have the idea, I have the form, but uh, could you join the project? And I said, I can join the project, but uh, only if I can say something which I really believe. Because I don't believe anymore also in just simple irony, sarcastic. What I said in the film, it's not... Ironic. I mean, I really believe that somehow we need 3.5, not 3 million Jews in Poland. Uh, how and why and what is real, what is fictitious, uh, uh, we can discuss if you want. But it's, I wouldn't say that it's just a utopian uh, or it's just to provoke. I don't believe that provocation is any more productive in art. I think it's conservative rather. We'll get to that. But first, how did your collaboration actually start? So how did, Yael, how did you find Slavomir? How did you find each other? Um, <clears throat> I was visiting uh, Poland in 2006. Uh, I was invited, actually, by um, a gallery from Warsaw to come and, and work in, in Poland. That was actually the, the reason actually I started to work there. Um, it wasn't. It was my second time actually uh, visiting Poland, um, and while being in Poland, I was quite. Um, I was traveling around uh, Poland in many cities where Jews 
Jewish community used to be, and I was um, the sense of the void was very, very present and was very um, uh, kind of shocking. And uh, for the first time, to actually feel this, uh, like like I was introduced by the Warsaw and the, 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 this gallerist, and to, you know, here was a very large Jewish community. While now I see only gray, empty buildings and. So the void was something very, very kind of uh, emotionally effective, um, and that kind of provoked provoked my imagination. This uh, the absence of the Jews started to be very, very. I, I carried that for for some weeks with me, and um, and while being in Warsaw for the, uh, that time, I was starting to imagine a possible uh, return of Jewish. Uh, community back to Poland. So it started from, from kind of somehow simple idea of uh, oh, wow, what, what if these streets will be now full with Jewish Jews again. Um, uh, and somehow I started to develop the idea and I, I threw this up in the air to, to, to Jana. And she was like um, very, very fast reacted as, as very positive. It was. It seems like it was something that that it, such a discourse was missing. Uh, and then I w- actually asked her to introduce me to uh, the Polish intelligentsia. So I, I started to actually meet different people. I had many meetings, and in which I heard a lot of cliches about the Jews. I was really shocked. How? What is the memory of the the Jewish community? Something that I feel very alienated as an Israeli Jew, and um, and then actually, actually I don't know it was my first visit or second visit. Second, I, I she, she came with this brilliant idea that I should meet uh, Slavomir, and um, I, I would say we you know it was a love at first sight. It was um, we we met in a morning in a cafe. It was very very hot. It was my second. It was a summer in Poland that was. Super hot, and I think Poles are not really ready for a, a warm weather. It was I was really sweating and love me, and uh, it was quite a shocking experience. Because uh, for me, the, it's always like cold and gray, and it was bright, beautiful blue skies. And uh, we met, and we actually we met in the morning, and we ended up I think until the next day somehow uh, spending the full day um, uh, of just like d- discussing. I proposed this idea to him and we came up very quickly with the slogan of the first film, 3.3 Minute Jews Can Change Their Life for 40 Minute Poles. And um, it was um, a day that I will never forget. It was really very uh, very, ch- very interesting, very challenging, very inspiring to meet Slavik. Uh, how is this... Um I want to ask about how this project was received, both in Poland and in Israel. I know there was, a, a, or I heard there was a march at some point organized in Poland, and the Israeli um, Minister of Culture refused to come to the Polish pavilion at the Biennial. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about how it was received, both of you? Uh, well, there, there were some controversies. However, I wouldn't say that uh, it's the most important thing. I mean, like, let's get rid of this idea of art must provoke, and then one or two ministers will uh, announce that they are against or so. I mean, I, I, well, th- of course, I mean, there, there, there were uh, some, some things like that, but 
I think it, because I don't know if you. It's better to 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 tell you what was the social context of it. I mean, you you don't know that, but uh, Poland is is much. It's not. It's different. Not only uh, uh, because it's uh, there was a communism. It's still not a rich liberal democracy. It's a very specific country, different than any neighbor country. Also, because it's extremely homogeneous. I mean, really, like. Uh, and, and it is still uh, now very homogeneous. Like imagine 100 people, 100% people, exactly the same. Like one language, one culture, one religion, one race, one color. I mean everything, everything really. A few Protestants. Well, maybe we have, but, uh, but it's rather a proof that we don't have any real minority of anything on, on any dimension. And uh, and so like. And then I came to maturity in the 90s, and I heard many things, like now we will have a liberal democracy, now we will have a freedom, now we will have a pluralism, now we will have a tolerance, and so on and so on and so on. And of course, there was this uh, revival of, uh, uh, there was big change in the collective remembrance. We had big discussion that, well, we, we discovered that we were not only the victims of the history, uh, that we were, all, we were also perpetrators uh, so we had this large, probably the largest after 1989 discussion about Yedvabne, that we killed uh, a few hundred Jews. And, but also, the, the, the role of the witness changed. Before we thought that as a witnesses, and we, if we were neutral, or if we were just passive during the Holocaust, it's fine. But of course it was not fine. I mean, the... the uh, the, 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 the whole vision of history and modern history uh, started to, to, to change. And, uh, but, still, uh, but still, this dialogue, which is really good thing between Jews and Poles, this kind of ritual, uh, changes in the education, changes in the public sphere, elimination of anti-Semitism from the public sphere. It still exists in a private sphere. It still exists close to the Catholic Church as a part of it. There are many bad things still in Poland. But this homogeneous place started to be so strange in the map, which started to grow because we joined the European Union, we joined the global mass culture, and so on. So the ghost started to raise from the ground. And if you live in Warsaw and you have absolutely no possibility to see any remnants of the Jewish culture, and then you realize that it was 400,000 Jews with the literature, with their language, with everything, with their world, real world, with, you know, and if you, then you started to really need it somehow. Like you are interested in how it happened. And simple things, like you start to, you, you want to imagine it somehow. And, uh, and now we can, we, can, we can start to think, uh, where is the reality? And I would say that reality is not in a reality. I mean, the, the less, the, the reality as a something which is a status quo, especially now when our imagination is really blocked and you cannot imagine the tax in European Union or any small, of the healthcare system, the real one in United States, um, is, is any, any real social change in the world uh, is something un unimaginable. Uh, we are so 
uh, experienced by the totalitarianisms of 20th century that we abandoned thinking about other world, that it would be possible. We are afraid of it. So I would say that the reality depends on the conditions of possibility. And the conditions of possibility are rather in our imagination. So I would say that there is more reality in the movies than in outside the cinema. Uh, and, and this is really something which uh, is very tangible now um, when, you know, uh, everything is diverse. I mean, everything is very colorful. Everybody has their own iPods and their own melodies in it. And everything is, at the same time, very standardized, very uni uniformized. I mean, we are the same in our diversity. So I would prefer the reversed way. Svetlana Boim talks about nostalgia as a form of alternative thinking. And there's a lot of that here, especially when we think about um, art and propaganda and a nostalgia for a political reality that never existed. And I've also been thinking, I'm not sure if, this if people know about this project, but um, Tanya Bruguera's Immigrant Movement International is uh, basically what it sounds like. It's a movement um, for immigrants that was sort of born out of a kind of an artwork come political action, political movement. Um, can political movements be thought of as artwork? Is the Zionist movement an artwork? Maybe that's too extreme, but can, can you guys talk about the relationship between political movements and art? And propaganda and, and, and art's role in that? Well, um, I don't know what is art. This is, this, since I studied art, I was also never understood what is art. And, um, art can be whatever you want it to be. And Herzl was an artist. He was a playwright. He was uh, imagining different life for himself. He was, uh, he was, and he, he made this, the dream come true. A dream that, from my perspective, is a nightmare. Um, and I think that, um, I, I, for me, the reason, actually, I, cannot, I took a break after completing my first degree in art and in photography. I, I took a four, year, four years break, and I actually just decided that I'm not doing any art. And, I, and like not, I was not interested in the art world. In, in, and the only reason, actually, I decided that I should return to producing art was for me to um, um, to point something that I was I wanted people to look at, <clears throat> and I wanted that my works would become a kind of activism, even if it's poetic and if it, even if it's very personal. But it was important for me that um, kind of to find an alternative for the mainstream. Uh, media uh, and, and somehow to provoke something that is maybe talks unconscious and some more uh, uh, psychoanalysis of our society and I wanted to resonate some something through the video making that is um, was for me important um, and that's where actually I decided in 2000 that I wanted to be an artist I wanted to to, to be heard I want to I wanted to confront uh, my people, Israelis, um, mostly that, uh, with the realities they're living in. And, um, 
and uh, creating creating this Jewish Renaissance movement. It was a, it was a, a, it was a process. It wasn't that I had an idea. I wanted to create a movement and uh, I want to change the world. I, but I wanted to somehow the the first uh, actually it started. I started with my Kushmari. That was the first first part, and it was in my mind the only project I would do in Poland. I did not imagine that I would end up uh, representing Poland in last like last year. Um, but something in the, in the film and in the, in the reaction, the reality that it created, this film and the response uh, re, uh, we re received, um, um, I, I, I just imagine. I, I thought I, I cannot stop there. I need to continue. I need to go deeper. I need to dig into uh, my history, my present, my future. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to, to to go next, and it became more uh, maybe more. Also, more political and more challenging. And uh, I wanted to, through the trilogy, not only to discuss about the return to Europe, but actually what it means uh, to the Israel-Palestinian conflict. What what is what are we creating for ourselves? Um, and then the, that's where it started the, the the Jewish Renaissance movement in Poland. It was a, a way to materialize maybe the idea, a way to um, and. Um, Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about that? Like, a, I mean, your earlier work is kind of more about um, Israeli national identity and, and the socialization of Israeli society, more um, from a doc, you know from a document documentary point, a little bit like Trembling Time, which is a you know it's a phenomenon that you kind of make strange and look at really closely, and then you go to uh, you know, towards creating events and staging them and stuff like that. What um, what are some filmic and artistic influences on you? Uh, Zionist propaganda films are <clears throat> quite a. I think I was most. Um, I was trying to find my own language. I was trying to find a language where is. Um, somehow, um, it's not really a documentary because obviously I manipulate the image. And um, but somehow, again, like the personal resonance was very important for me. And um, I would say some early works by of Bill Viola was quite uh, the contemplation, the feeling of con contemplative, like uh, letting the image just exist and look at. And um, his early works, I don't like the his later activities, but. Um, um, how to, to this whole idea of stopping the time and playing, manipulating the time. Um, but later on, re really, the kind of early propaganda films, but not only Zionist, the entire kind of the ideological filmmaking, uh, the, the, the strong seductive elements of those films, and and the kind of the, the the way to manipulate our way of thinking. It was for me stunning and. And that's therefore actually I wanted to use this kind of language for for the for the trilogy, because um, if you want to talk about this kind of very problematic, difficult issues, you have to go through this kind of because um, that's inconvenient maybe kind of emotional towards the image, towards the the way of making like you you are seduced by the films and then you start to ask what are you seduced to? What is it actually that these films propose? As this kind of uncomfort uh, way, those, I was really interested in this kind of. Do you have an example? 
afford. Didn't you have an example that you wanted to show? Oh, us? The, oh yeah. <laughs> example of those vignettes. We actually, I actually brought um, um, an early film of. Uh, it's actually the documentation of the um, one of the first uh, Wallen Tower kibbutz, which was done by the British Mandate. So we have it. We can show can we run the, a very the short clip. clip. But this this film is more like a reel. It's like uh, it's my it's more like um, which this film? Uh, it, it's not really the the, the, the propaganda. Let's say uh, in the sense of the energy. I'm not sure I know what you mean. Like, like the energy of propaganda films that yeah. you like fast cut. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the influence on your work, obviously. Um, I wanted to talk about Rivka, the ghost. Let, let's, oh, if if I can add something, because you, 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 you use this word propaganda, art, um, and uh, you asked about the relation between art and politics. Um, and, well, this, this uh, example is, of course, the... Uh, not very risky example of mm -hmm. as a point of reference. There are also fascist films and communist films, and I would even say that the the, the 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 aesthetic which is used or which is most similar to the aesthetic of those three films is rather the aesthetic of this totalitarian propaganda. But let's be honest about it. I mean, it happened, but it not happened because of like external evil were ruling the world, people, and, you know, there was a um, puppet, and, uh, or we were like a puppet. No, we were the people also, like we are now. So there was something uh, which most, was not maybe health in it when we were creating a community before, before this large process of individualization, of disenchanting the world, or, you know, now we know that God is death, socialism is death, Foucault is death, Nietzsche is death, you know, everything is dead. 
and and we are existing like a monads in an other state of nature, but this time it is uh, digitalized and modernized. But 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 you know something social is disappearing. Some so, some kind of social glue is disappearing. And and uh, why I would say that um, one of the factors which uh, enhanced this process was the remembrance about totalitarian. Uh, um, uh, you know the horrible events, um, but the but the problem was that uh, we really uh, got rid of this history. In the same time, I think forgetting about something which is uh, really uh, important between the people, some kind of social bonds which are important. And fascism was a cancer on this kind of not maybe socialism, but this kind of social uh, community, social body, which was important for the humanity for many, many years. And if we had such a beautiful things like Canadian welfare state, uh, it was possible also because uh, the people were not, they were somehow cooperating with each other, not competing only from the, you know, kindergarten to, to the university free market of labor than free market of coffins you know um, um, and this kind of social glue started to disappear so if we want to and I believe that art is not only to entertain in a higher or lower level I believe that art can produce a knowledge I can which the knowledge which could be useful for the people to live or for the even for the people to understand what is happening around. I can understand that uh, uh, if we believe that science can, uh, or this kind of pragmatism can solve every problems, we are wrong. I mean, science cannot prove human rights, for example. If I believe in human rights, it's not because someone or somehow proved it to me. I believe it. And the only legitimization for it is because I believe it. This is kind of an act of belief or a decision to do it. This kind of decision has sense if you will uh, believe in it in common, like if we will do it, it together. And we can do it, it together if we will have this kind of social bond, trust. I mean, this. But aren't you, aren't you being a little bit nostalgic here? And well, did well, that really. Was, I, I was don't. Really well, like yeah, I was thinking about it if this kind of inspiring by engaged intelligence in my country, people like Jacek Kuroń or Václav Havel, it, it is like only, you know, that, that you are only nostalgic. I would say that we are rather inspired by this than nostalgic because of, we understand that we live in different realities and we do different things. But I, I think that uh, uh, to, uh, that all of us, we play on the social field. and. Either you are artist or a political activist or a scientist, still you live in a society, still you are either for the status quo you observe or against it, and you have the idea somehow to change it. And I don't think that you can uh, run away from this situation. And so we are using different forms and different means, but it's good to understand that we are not pure, uh, neutral, uh, not uh, a part of a bigger thing. And this bigger thing is society. And 
I think it, it, is, it is productive to understand this situation and to, and to take this into consideration. And it doesn't mean only propaganda, the instrumentalization of art. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't think that uh, it must be something wrong to, to cooperate uh, in yeah. this way. And certainly if you go to you know, any Occupy Wall Street encampment around North America or in Europe and stuff, you'll see that too, I guess. Um, I wanted to go back to the videos, though. Um, <laughs> Rivka is the ghost of return, who you first mention in Mari Koshmari Nightmares, and we see her kind of fully manifest by um, the third part of the, of the trilogy. And she's kind of an embodiment of the idea of an inherited homeland. Um, and the fact that we kind of inherit our, our identities. and. So the question that the Jewish Renaissance movement in Poland and these works raises is, is to me completely entwined with the Palestinian right of return. Is Rivka Palestinian? Mm. I, I learned a few days ago she is. Yeah. Really. <laughs> it was a quite an experience to hear it from a Palestinian um, when we first, actually, I worked with a writer on the text, and when we first wrote the text, was the idea to, uh, that she's a symbol for the ghost. Of, um, but we actually talked about the, the 48 ghost. We talked mm -hmm. about the Nakba, we talked about the Palestinian uh, trauma, and uh, she kind of, um, she is, she's very responsible of the ghosts in general, and she was specific. There is a line about her being locked in the, in in, in the Yad Vashem. In the mm -hmm. um, yeah, so she's 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 everything actually. She's uh, Rivka. She's Rebecca. She's uh, Rivka. She's Palestinian. Um, and she's like uh, yeah. Talk a little bit more about the Palestinian right of return in relationship to this project? I mean, not just in, in symbolized through Rivka, but through just the, the fundamental kind of structure of this <coughs> idea. Was this something that you know, really was in the beginning or, or was it, did it kind of become evident because our histories are so entwined? It's the, the whole project is really, it's like a big mirror that reflects on both histories. It's not just, a, it's, it's like, a, European Middle East issues that are part of the, at the moment in the trilogy, in fact, the Palestinians are ghosts because they, they're not, they hardly mentioned that they're not there, but we know that. For me, that's very clear that it's about, it's about their trauma, it's about our national traumas and Polish, Israeli, all these national traumas, the nightmare of nations, um, uh, the nightmare of inclusion and ex exclusion, uh, this, the destruction, and um, and um, I, I feel very somehow always very uncomfortable to talk about the Palestinian right of return as an Israeli. I always wait for a Palestinian to actually bring it over because I think it's just not um, it's not honest somehow. But I I I. I you know, I, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's, for me, it's part of the project. The, fight, the fact that every Jew can actually come and 
to Israel without no matter where he was born, and he can just, you know, the right, the birthright, and Palestinians that were born and were expelled, and they have no rights to return. And this is fundamental for me as a problem. I want to talk a little bit about irony that you brought up earlier. Carol Zemel, professor of Jewish visual culture at York University in Toronto, wrote about your work, Yael, um, about the aesthetic of irony and how you tread the line between irony and hopeless naivete to, live us, to leave us stranded and hardly any place to go, with hardly any place to go. For me personally, as someone whose you know, kind of hybrid identity has always been um, at the forefront of my mind, I find myself really unsure where I should be standing with this work and um, you know, kind of how to digest this sort of new language of talking about trauma. Um, and personal identity. Is this work ironic? How does irony play in here? Why it must be about Palestine and irony and propaganda? And so, I mean, forget about reductions. Like, I mean, it's not because art must be ambiguous. This is also a reduction. I mean, I would say that it's, well, sorry that I answered to your pre-last question uh, all the time. But Rivka is something which I would say it's for now super individual, something which uh, in this, as I said, as after Max Weber disenchanted world, something which we really wanted to expel, like from, you know, that we really don't want, because we want to be, uh, um, uh, well, we want to be serious, we don't want to believe in any ghosts, in any gods, in any ideas, in any ideologies, in anything which is not uh, connected to our individual interest. Uh, otherwise, we will not feel safe. I mean, we feel safe. There is, a, there is one German philosopher, Peter Sloterdijk, who wrote a book, uh, the, the Critic of Cynical Reason, telling something which I think unfortunately is true that um, uh, we took strange lesson from the Enlightenment. Like we took, the, we know that the knowledge is accumulating. We know more and more and more and more. We've got more and more information. We should be more and more clever. And the problem is not that we are not clever and the Holocaust is the best example of against the progress, simple progress. That we know, of course. But the problem is that we use this knowledge uh, not anymore to think or to dream about the different world, we use it individually to adopt to this imperfect world. Like you and your private interest is stronger than any narration that you can hear. Suck, 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 I mean, religious or any uh, substitute of it. That, 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 that is the problem. And I believe that Rivka and coming back, her, her return and the right of return of ideas or something which would be stronger than our closed private interest uh, is something that we really need. Um, and, uh, and it is not ironic in this sense. I mean, I really need it. I mean, I, I don't, it, it doesn't mean that I need 3.5 million Jews in Poland, but I need Poland to be prepared for 3.5 million Jews. I need Poland with these conditions of possibility, social, cultural, and others. And then, if they come or not, has no, uh, makes no difference. Uh, but but that, that is what, I mean, I, I wanted to say in this first uh, speech. 
Yeah, why um, did you... I don't you know, is it ironic? Is it, it has some humor. It has to, it's good to, you know, it's like such a complicated uh, matters. I think they, uh, it's good to laugh in between. That's, my, that's like my way of, you know, breathe and, and laugh and kind of somehow, um, I think, I think life is much more ironic in that, in that sense. I mean, reality somehow for me, not so much, uh, much more than the movies. Why did you choose to um, turn Slavomir into a martyr? Why did you choose to kill him? Not him, in the, mm. you know, in the video. Oh, it's um, it's kind of more. It's somehow it, in literature it works in a very like to kill your own hero. It works often, but in in the sense of the logic of the the film, I wanted to um, um, I I think the kind of self maybe a critique of those in the movement that actually end up with a, a dictate, dictatorship, totalitarian situation. Uh, maybe I wanted before it happens, already to get rid of the um, of the leader, and um, I wanted to create a more democratic situation. I wanted to, um, and on some level, of course, it also works with the, the, the most progressive in history. Most progressive thinkers are often being assassinated. And, uh, and in the, I think in Poland also it really belonged to the Polish culture and, 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 in, and also this idea of we are the chosen people, Poles and Jews are the chosen people, we need a, this kind of messianistic. So it, it, was, it worked on a few levels and, and uh, on the metaphoric level also it's a moment that if we kill our f fictional reader maybe we can become a real movement, maybe this kind of social bonds. And, and I have to say, when, when Slaver talks always about the social bonds, I have to say that, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, you will maybe notice watching the films in, uh, that the, the, the same people appear in the second and the third. There was a kind of, there was a lot of, um, suddenly there was a sort of kibbutz that was created among creating those films. There was a, a real social interaction between uh, us Israelis and, and, and Polish people who, worked, who took part of the film. There was something happened aside in, in, the, in, in the making of the film, which was, for me, so strong and so, kind of, so powerful that we kind of, as I say, we occupied one of the hotels in it during the five days production and uh, it became like everybody was wearing the uniforms and it became like well, social movements. Everybody's like for this idea that we, uh, we want to create our own history. Um, people that never traveled to Poland said it was the first time and they came to, the, to build the kibbutz of course, I had, and they, I had to guide them. You know, you have to imagine you are the pioneers and show them the movies from the 30s to come. And there was, it was such a... Um, it, it is for me very important that to the collaboration, to work with people who are interested in the, in the ideas, who kind of contribute their own... Uh, we have a musician here who wrote music, especially for the, for, for the last part. We have... Um, uh, the architect who built here the AGO, he was the he he played the um, the mapuchit um, uh, uh, harmonica. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, there's the people were really kind of um, 
I, I felt already beyond the movies there is something is happening, something, some, a grow interest for, for people to really have the sense of belonging which they decide that they want to be part of. And we can think that if it uh, produced something among us, uh, only among the producers, it's, uh, it's nothing. But it is something, really. I mean, like, uh, it produces a specific community which is open and, and, and people are coming and coming. And then you, you, you meet them in different situations. A lot of them are involved in other things. Uh, and, uh, and it produced uh, uh, this kind of social bonds, really. I mean, and, and I, I don't believe that any argument today, any motion, anything which we believed before that can produce social bonds, that's, that's why philosophers were writing political philosophies, politicians were writing manifestos and other things. I really believe that you can have a social bond only if you reach or you will together try to reach a kind of aim. Uh, and then, it, it, then, there is some, then, then there is this glue which... Uh, uh, which is important. Of course, there are islands in which still uh, people have n no shame to, in to be involved. Like in Poland, there, there is, for example, still uh, a big island of uh, believers in Catholicism, which is very specific Catholicism. Um, but, and of course, they, are, they have no shame to go to the streets to fight and, and so on and so on. Uh, there is a specific trance in which they are. And, uh, and, uh, but if you look at the left or if you look at the center, if you look at the broader masses of the people in contemporary societies, it's really hard to find something among them. And if this project, which cannot be stopped somehow, I don't know why truly, um, produced something, it's, then it's fine. I mean, that, that, that it's something. I would say that these two things, imagination from up uh, and, and social bonds among the people from below, there are two things in which we should focus our engagement uh, if we really want to uh, not to give up uh, um, in these times. So tell me how you're going to do, continue doing that. I know that there's a Congress planned for the upcoming um, Berlin Biennial in May. Herzl going to be there? Which is interesting, another artist uh, who is from like, our movement, let's say, which, like, which is um, uh, this uh, political critic movement, but it's a broad uh, movement of artists, activists, other people. And, uh, yeah, and Arthur is preparing Berlin Biennale, but immediately uh, it started to be a network of institutions, projects, uh, ideas, and one of it, or one big part of it, would be the Congress, but still that the movement is so mature that it has fractions, and uh, I'm, I'm on the left side of this movement, and I, I thought that it should give something to the people, and I think it should be something really triggering imagination, like, I don't know, the project of the Constitution for this horrible European Union, which is now uh, uh, falling yeah, falling apart. So maybe we, maybe we should ask a simple student of the law to write on one page, project of the constitution, and to give some kind of 
political priorities, how should citizenship look like, how should you know, the, 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 the uh, sharing powers look like, and so on and so on. If politicians are uh, disabled to do it and, uh, and, and, and rating agencies are not interested in it, then maybe artists should produce uh, something strong for European Union. I think we're going to open it up to the audience. Does anyone have questions? We, by the way, we have two microphones, and if you put your hands up, we'll come to you. We're recording this to go on the podcast from the website, so it's good to have the questions as well as the answers, so it makes sense. I saw uh, the trilogy at the Venice Biennale, and I had just completed a trip to Poland just prior to going to Venice. I did a Holocaust trip with the Canadian Center for Genocide Education. And I just want to correct you, if I may, on Jedwabne. It wasn't a couple of hundred people. It was over 1,500 people that were marched into a barn by the, by the Poles, not the Germans, and burnt alive. I know that well. I was yeah. involved in this. So it was, it was half the population of the town. We went there. And we were told to be very quiet because we weren't welcome there. So I find this, this, I'm a little confused now because I did see some irony in the film, in the trilogy. And I thought that the, the, the third film, where you had all the speakers, was really quite smart. Um, what you, your speakers posited very different political, philosophical views. Um, on how they viewed the possibility of having a Renaissance movement in Poland. And I didn't get a clear sense where you came down in terms of which speaker you identified with. Um, and now I'm a little confused because you actually believe that there should be a Jewish Renaissance in Poland? And do you believe in the right to return? Am I understanding that correctly? Um, I, I want, well, we, we had this, this kind of discussion when we were thinking about, like, Yael came to me, and it was in Venice Biennale, and she said, well, what do you think about registering the movement? Like giving people IDs and so on and so on. And I said, well, you know, with, the art, with artists, I understand that we should be for engaged art and art should produce something in, you know, in, and, uh, but I don't think that it must have some, uh, this kind of shape, like that uh, if the movement, then the movement should be registered and there should be, you know, membership and so on and so on. So it's not, I, I, I really think that, uh, uh, so I, it's not that I'm for the Jewish Renaissance movement in the simplest possible understanding of it. I want Poland and other societies. So and then then I used uh, an example uh, to, um, when we were quarrelling with Yael and other people. Um, I used the example from the film Matrix. What do you mean? Explain that. <laughs> okay, Yael, could you could you respond to to the, mm. the, the question? 
Uh, sorry, uh, I have uh, epilepsy. Yeah. So, um, so some few. Like I mean, I have this seizures, uh, but sometimes they are small. But like one yeah. for a minute or two, I'm like you know. Uh, but now I'm fine. So. <laughs> um, so two pills uh, in the in matrix, and I said, uh, if I would, uh, um, what would you what would you choose? Yeah, would you choose uh, this, the, the 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 situation in which immediately uh, you push the button and three and a half million Jews are in Poland, or would you choose uh, the red pill and? Uh, uh, Jews are still in Israel, but they are, uh, they could be in Poland um, in a sense that uh, Poland is really a country in which three, not immediately, or three and a half million different other alien people can live, can, uh, uh, can, can feel fine, and so on and so on. Uh, and, and then I realized uh, that, of course, this second pill uh, is something which we are for. That would be to create something real, uh, rather than just to... Do you think that it would be really real to take three million people and to put them... To, uh, you know, two million will be immediately, you know, um, expelled somehow. Uh, one million will feel, you know, that the weather or other things uh, is bad, and so on and so on. You know, so that is uh, that is why I don't believe that in reality uh, the the reality is most real. Mm -hmm. Well, my parents uh, were Polish Jews, and my mother was a survivor of Auschwitz, and I grew up with survivors' families. And there isn't a prayer in hell that you can get those Jews back, or their, or the generation after, who um, grew up hearing stories of how uh, mistreated they were, and how they abhor the Poles more than the Germans because they did it willingly. Um, so, but I found I found the the, the trilogy quite wonderful in, in, in its complexity, and it, I think it has met multiple layers where, you know, the whole... It actually shows how maybe someone like Hitler or other dictators can come to power in this whole sort of mass uh, uh, sort of hysteria that happens. But yeah, I just want to actually. I would like to mention that it's a, a year ago, exactly during the International Holocaust Day, we were both in Mesua, which is Institute for Holocaust. We presented Mary Kushmare. There were a number of, of Holocaust survivors, Polish, and when they met Slavomir, it was such an amazing moment. They 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 were suddenly speaking Polish, a very old Polish. I would, 
and they were so um, uh, excited to meet Slavomir and the idea for them that actually Poland asked them to return to Poland. Even they will never go. Even they hate Poland, they will they think that all Polish are anti-Semites. But there was a moment for them that they, you know, five of them were standing next to and they still have a contact. So the point is, what do you, what do, you do with that history? How do, how do you want, I mean, he's not part of the, you know, the whole system that destruction and no, no one's I think, I think that, we need to move on and maybe have some other questions. Another question. Yes. Hi. I, um, I think there is certainly an irony and a cleverness in terms of what you propose. Um, and so even though we know that, there is something that makes me want to go, well, what if that actually was the case? And uh, But I'm also going on a little bit of a... Uh, personal journey that I took in 2008, and in fact, there is a nascent, little, little, little uh, movement in po in Poland. You know, at the Nozick cinema, uh, Synagogue, there's a, a lot of um, American Jews who've started, a few American Jews who've started coming back. And when I was there, I noticed also a bunch of people who were devoning, and yet they didn't seem like they quite knew how to devon. And when I talked to the rabbi about it, he said that there were a number of Poles who actually were just discovering now that they were Jewish and that they were only um, learning about this from the grandparents, that the parents didn't tell them, but that the grandparents. So they were kind of coming back to it. And there's also a reform synagogue there too, and there's quite a kind of, you know, activity. So, so it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, huge in any way, but there is this kind of idea in the community there that this could be grown and that there is something kind of to, to grow there. But then it made me think about, um, so, so then as you propose this, this um, I think, okay, what would, really, what would it really take to make something like that happen? And one of the things that it makes me think about is the March of the Living, and that in fact, you, your next piece after the trilogy could be about banning the March of the Living, because in so many ways, it's actually what works with Zionism to reinforce the, this conflation of, um, of the, the purposes of Israel and this, this wounding, rewounding, instead of this kind of conversation that could happen in terms of Europe's ultimate racism by, not, by pushing the Jews to Israel and not re, reintegrating them. for a few more questions. Um, I'm a card-carrying member of the Jewish Renaissance movement in Poland, I'm happy to say. Um, I haven't gone to many meetings yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm eager to participate. Um, my question, Yael and, and Slavomir, is, um, has to do with really the institution of the, world, of the art world and how you launched this um, this trilogy, which I think is, as you've said, not only in part ironic, but also very brilliant. And um, because it asks, in the context of the Holocaust, it asks the unanswered, you know, the daring, subversive question that the Jews should all come back to Poland. And this freaks out um, Jews almost everywhere. So I, in that sense, this, it's, it, it succeeds. It opens the door. It puts the question on the table. But my question is, how did you convince, or I don't want to even use the word convince, you appeared at the Biennale 
which is one of the oldest and most prestigious international art exhibitions in the Western world. Um, it now claims to be incredibly inclusive and, it and it's orchestrated around national lines. You appeared there as an Israeli artist um, in the Polish National Pavilion. How did you bring that off? How did the Polish uh, Ministry of Culture or the agents of Polish culture who determine this decide that unlike every other um, is national pavilion, they were not going to have a national poll? Unless you become a Polish citizen and we don't know about it, I don't know. Well, I wish. Um, um, some actually from the, from the, from the um, after the second part of the Murivieja, I was starting to imagine the possibility that maybe the way to kind of maybe finish the the best thing that could happen to this trilogy that actually if it will represent Poland um, because it really would then will undermine national identity in, in its best. Um, and then, that, and the thing is, in, in in Poland, which is actually not in Israel, that you uh, it's a democratic uh, process, and every artist can actually apply. And um, I simply re I asked a curator from the Museum of Modern Art in Warsaw to curate the, the exhibition potentially, uh, and I asked also Galitela to to join and to submit together an application. And we kind of described the idea of the last part. It was still in process. Um, we applied, and after two weeks, I received the call. They say um, that the committee decided there were 15 people from the, the top um, curators and art, and art director, um, museum director that decided to take this project on. Normally, it takes one month for the Minister of Culture to decide, and they took him one day. He signed the, the, the application that I can represent. It was, um, let's say, I was. It was a kind of just sending a boomerang, sending like, okay, up here, up. I send this, this is my request, and I will see what happens. And um, the minister of Poland caught the, this, you know, he he uh, kind of this made a, made the kind of decision that this will. I think we have time for two more questions. There's one at the back and there's one here. So, Yes, I have a question for Yael. Um, Yael, you showed a beautiful piece at the power plant a number of years ago, which figured, if I remember it correctly, uh, young people on a hilltop um, grappling with each other, and it was unclear whether they were trying to hold themselves together in a group or if they were being pulled apart by you know, people seemed to switch roles between pulling the group together in a kind of wrestling match or pulling them apart. I thought about that image a lot in the years that have gone by since I saw that work every time I read, of course, about the conflict in the Middle East and the settlements and so on. In this work, I find a similar mood in the second film when the razor wire is being put up, the barbed wire is being put up around the periphery of the kibbutz, and the kibbutz seems to reimagine itself as a concentration camp, it, there's a moment in which there's this this extraordinary kind of ambiguity that arises about about what exactly this structure is and what its function is for the people that have erected it and the people outside of it. Can you talk about ambivalence and ambiguity in the work of art and why that is so much? I mean, I think the reason the work is so fascinating and so distressing 
uh, for people is because it is so precisely ambiguous. Can you talk about the role of ambiguity in your work a little bit for us? Because I feel like tonight you're being asked to give firm answers, and I, I feel like your whole strategy is to defy that, you know, which is why it's so interesting. Well, <laughs> it's always a very difficult, somehow, it's, it's difficult to answer because um, I, I think in general I try, I try to talk about human conditions and, um, and I, I somehow will not answer the question, but i give you an example. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> You're going to be ambiguous and ambivalent. Sorry? You're going to be ambiguous and ambivalent. I'm going to be ambi That's ambiguous. That's okay. It's my strategy. <laughs> but uh, um, a settler um, next to Bethlehem, she wrote uh, her master's on, on, on my works. Um, obviously, politically, I'm the other side of her you know, vision of a whole Israel for, you know, according to the Bible and what are the borders of Israel. But... And I was, uh, she uh, approached me and asked me to for a meeting, and um, and she wrote uh, um, on the early works. One of them was about this piece, and um, the reason she wrote about me because she felt that it's a product of her life, her continuous struggle to kind of maintain this very small spot of land that she wanted to keep for herself and her family, and. Um, I was, you know, like I was very, very uncomfortable the entire time. She even invited me over to to visit her and and um, and to become friends. But I was, I, I feel so, so like on the other side polit politically, and I was not able to really. And I, I was very kind of, I'm very honest, and I said, you know, we, I, I really cannot embrace your. But at the, at the same time, I felt she was um, also very honest about her, and and I, for me, it's it's a way to. Um, how art can challenge actually our reality through the, maybe through this kind of way of uh, projecting and uh, reflecting. Uh, uh, I wanted to, that there is a kind of autonomy in, in the art making that actually can challenge this maybe maybe uh, ethics and and, um, and anything that we kind of struggle anything that I struggle with. Um, and maybe I just don't believe in so much left and right and all this kind of kind of political way of thinking about our you know like maybe the black and white does not exist for me like um, I try to make it things more you know like it's kind of continuous love and hate I have towards uh, my homeland um, this kind of uh, frustration and disappointment and and maybe this this is a way for me to you know to bring to bring my subjective point of view to the works and um, And that will be read as ambiguity. <laughs> um, hello, there seems to me so many things to say. I wanted just to pick up on um, a kind of disagreement, I suppose, with this idea of ir irony and, and, and ambiguity, because it seems to me that the work that you've presented and the way you've presented this evening is precisely, in Hannah Arendt's terms, a challenge to think about the most profound things that we have to think about without the comfort of thinking, well, it's ironic or it's ambiguous. It's actually very unsettling and disturbing 
and that's how I partly read the ways in which your the visual things operate, not because you are being jokey with us, but we must be, as it were, agitated that the nature of the memories that are encoded in these, as you say, these, these kinds of aesthetic of films, as well as the memories of history, should agitate us in the present. So I was very struck by what you said, Slavomir, about the question of the totalitarian, because we're so caught in the idea of the Holocaust. And the Holocaust obviously must be mourned, it must be remembered, it is one of the grievous crimes against humanity, suffered specifically by the Romanes and the Jews, we always, the Jews always forget the Romanese lost as many people in proportion and remain the unrepresented and unterritorialized people who still suffer across Europe. But at the same time, what was the system under which that happened? And what you seem to be suggesting in your presentation politically is the totalitarian hasn't gone away. It's taken a kind of hidden form of this modern individualism, of consumerism, of a complete lack of concern for any other. And your films show that in a different way aesthetically. And I think that moment that you've just raised when the, the joy of the settlement suddenly turns sour and you have both the, the, the enclosure of the ghetto and, as it were, the defense against a different other is precisely where the past opens to a present that we have to be agitated by. And mm -hmm. so I, I'm very mm -hmm. concerned as to really to underline what you seem to have been trying to assist, that this is not about game playing or fancy, but the power of imagination and thought is the only instrument we have to confront the fact that we, as you say, do this all the time. Especially in the Sarentian way, uh, yeah. she focused, uh, she ac accentuated very much thinking in the Kantian way as producing knowledge and there was this uh, largest accusation to Eichmann that, that, that she was just, he was stupid in the ethical way. I mean, there was no logos and ethos in it and so on and so on. And uh, now I'm asking, where, this, where, where is the ethos and logos in this, uh, what is around us? However, I would reserve the word totalitarianism and the association to communism and fascism. Um, I wouldn't uh, say that what we have now is similar. I mean, and not only because of all the differences, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a bit afraid, I fear, to equalize th these things. I'm very far off. However, it's interesting because... Uh, in, in, in my organization, in, in, in Poland, um, we announced a year of Václav Havel for this year because we wanted, uh, we, don't, we did not want to stop this kind of inspiration with writing you know, obituaries and saying bye to a uh, brave dissident, but also because when we know his writings, and in these writings he's using the term post-totalitarian, calling... Uh, describing communism, but describing in the same time what is happening in the West, this kind of crisis that we have in the West. And I think uh, this very similar attitude had uh, Czesław Miłosz, uh, um, Polish-American uh, poet, but also essayist and uh, a writer who thought, who was desperately uh, looking for an answer how to give the sense to life in the world in which God is death. Like, how to find the sense. It's, it's like, you know, um, 
this is this Dostoevsky question, like that if God is dead, that anything goes, like everything, anything is possible. But not everything has sense. And uh, I like this uh, association with uh, with uh, with Arendt. If you are right that, uh, that the film trilogy showed something in an aesthetical way, which is not reducible to simple irony, or which is not just a provocation, then it's then it's uh, probably the best price for Yael possible, better even than Artist Mundi or Oscar or I don't know. <laughs> because it's if it really works, then I'm then I'm because we, we are really I mean I don't we, we were not talking about the Polish Jewish and Pol and Jewish Palestinian things, but believe me, we know what happened. Uh, we know what means anti-Semitism. We know where is the we are day to day involved in dealing with this. So I, I don't think you, we, uh, but in the same time, we want to somehow go beyond simple dialogue because dialogue means two sides. What we really want, I want to have the situation in which was in these pictures and you couldn't tell me, uh, observing the faces, who is who, who came from Israel and who came from, from Warsaw. I think at this point, um, I want to thank you so much for a wonderful discussion. Hen, thank you so much for your wonderful questions. Yael and Slavomir, thank you for your deeply thought and very honest answers. And I think you can tell from the, tonight that this art is going to stimulate many conversations. And I can unambiguously say that I think it's beautifully beautiful work. And I hope everybody will have a chance to go and see the exhibition. Thank you, Elizabeth, for bringing it. And thank you, Anne, for supporting it. Thank you for listening to this Art Gallery of Ontario podcast. For additional recordings, as well as information on upcoming programming and events, please visit us online at ago.net slash talks.